0: Institute of Art and Ideas, Articles, Videos and Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times. The podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas.
1: Last year Ireland voted to get rid of its blasphemy laws and most applauded the new right to offend the Catholic Church.
0: This week our speakers debate the right to offend.
1: We also expect our press and our comedians to be viciously critical or even offensive to our leaders. Yet to avoid giving offence, student campuses are introducing no platforming and safe spaces.
0: Should we seek to eradicate offence to create a more tolerant and equal society? Or is offence vital to freedom and a critical means to containing the powerful? Taking this on, we have author of Women vs. Feminism and associate editor of the political magazine Spiked, Joanna Williams, respected pundit who writes for the I, International Business Times, and The New European, Yasmin Alibi brown an award-winning journalist and broadcaster who sits on the board for the index of censorship david aronovich before we begin please do also be aware that due to the nature of this debate this podcast does contain some language that listeners may find offensive back now to roger bolton who hosts this week's episode
2: so i think the right to be offensive is absolutely vital in a society that purports to uh, uphold a belief in free speech Uh, for one thing we don't need the right to free speech for what's inoffensive we can be as bland and as boring as we like and nobody's ever going to challenge us we only need the right to be um, the right to free speech and it becomes meaningful and important when we're going to say things that might upset other people. Uh, My second argument is that uh, free speech and most importantly the right to be offensive is necessary for society to advance. If you think about all the major leaps forward we've made as a society, whether we're talking about abolishing slavery, universal suffrage, uh, gay marriage, um, anything you can think of, evolution, All of these ideas have grossly offended some sections of society, and if we didn't have the right to offend, we wouldn't have been able to argue for those uh, causes which I think we would all agree now are hugely progressive and really important. We needed to be able to offend to make the case for those things. Uh, The final point I'd make, uh, and this is where I'm so sorry, Yasmin, but I just don't know why you would be here today if you think words can't change people's views. It's called debates. Oh, yes, yes, exactly. Debate's so important to try and change people's minds, to change people's views because words are important, what's a very important indeed, because however much we might wish it were otherwise, we can't just magic bad ideas away. And there are an awful lot of bad ideas out there in the world, and we need debate, we need the right to be offensive, we need free speech to be able to challenge those bad ideas.
1: Yasmin, your outline. I
2: think
3: bad ideas or good ideas, yes, require words and bravery. But I don't think there is a duty on free speeches to offend. And that's the problem. People think they're being awfully brave when they pick on certain groups and not on others and deliberately set out to offend them. I have four letters from four wannabe novelists who sought from me a comment to suggest that they should have the fatwa because their sales would go up. I don't think there's a duty to offend. There is a right...
1: Are you going to name them?
3: uh, Unknown novelists who wanted a fatwa. I can give you the list afterwards. So I think there is civilized discourse. I think absolutely I agree with you that difficult ideas need to be argued for. But ideologues and people who are set in their ways, it's a waste of my time and theirs. But also, let me just quote somebody I really admire, Deborah Orr, who says, who really thinks the right to offend is inalienable? Who believes that some hideous error was made when it became untenable to put up notices in your pub saying no blacks, no Irish, no dogs? Who thinks those were better times? And that's where I'm coming from. There's a limit. There are people who set out to offend certain groups of people, and there are people who are brave and they, who are arguing in very difficult circumstances. There are issues that are very difficult to argue without being threatened and being um, and, and, and that does cause upset. But my problem is that free ri- free speech warriors now think it's their duty to demean and insult and dehumanise groups of people, often those who are powerless. And I can't go with that.
1: David.
4: Um, I think I'm going to begin by quarrelling, which is a really bad thing to do with the title of the session. But only in this sense, I don't really think that offence is the big question here. Uh, it is for some people, um, and quite often, and in fact we've just heard an example of it, when people use the term offence, they actually mean something different, which is they mean, are there things that people can do, can say, which are dangerous for other people? And if there, we believe there are, what are, are, are is our ability if we have it, to stop them a worse danger in the round than the thing that they are saying. And I think that's really what the debate about free speech is about. So let me uh, give uh, an obvious example which we could come down to, the problem of hate speech. And by the way, what we can see on, uh, on this freedom of speech question is a kind of pendulum which was swinging very much in favour of uh, free speech in almost every regard, but I'm talking about the democratic West, largely until the advent of social media about a decade ago Uh, and after that we've been in a perpetual war about what should be permitted and what shouldn't be permitted because of the ability effectively of anybody and everybody to make to publish an expression and have it seen by everybody. Anyway that's what I think I should leave by saying at the moment.
1: Should we just look at a couple of things that underline this? Let's start by The suggestion is that certainly people need protecting, not us, but there's an argument people need protecting. Supposing that there's a a disabled person out there and I call them a spastic. Now I would have used that term 40 years ago. Now it's offensive if I use the word nigger, which some people said I shouldn't use at all. The assumption is that there are people out there so offended and so vulnerable to offense that they need to be protected. Now, is there the a case? And in which case, is their need to be protected so great that the rest of us should moderate what we say? Joanna, can you think of cases where simply because of how much a small section of society would be hurt, we should not say something?
2: No, I can't and and as i, I I'm, in, I'm a free speech absolutist. I mean, I'll be absolutely clear about this. I, I, I am a free speech absolutist, but I think what the point you're making, Um, really illustrates for me one of the the reasons why I am a free speech absolutist because I think you actually bring prejudice back in through the back door when you start uh, defining limits to free speech. So you start saying some groups of people are more sensitive, are less easy to cope with debate, um, are... Are, are just more vulnerable than others. So we start so making So it that those people
1: who are going to be genuinely hurt, you say to them, it's too bad, it's in the greater good.
2: I think the corollary of no, this... No, are you
1: saying that, that they just have to put up with it for the greater good? Well,
2: no, I'm not actually, because I think if I heard anybody using the words that you you used, um, I would argue back against them. I would say, no, can you not use these words? Can yeah, you not say this? Yeah, they're probably going to pay this? no
1: attention. And the, question, the, the implicit question here is should we be taking action to stop the expression, either of those views of that language, because there may be people who would be hurt? And you're saying, I think you must be saying, there may be people who would be hurt, but there's a larger issue.
2: I am saying that, but I'm not saying... I I am saying, yes, there's a larger issue. You're absolutely right. I'm saying people might be hurt, but there's a larger issue, and the larger issue is free speech. But I'm also not saying um, that everybody in the world has to turn into this kind of really tough individual and just take it all on the chin and we should all go around throwing the most uh, offensive insults at the most vulnerable people in society and just expect them to kind of lap it up in the name of free speech. I'm saying society is a collective and as a collective if we see people saying things we disagree with uh, we can argue back against them. We can say I disagree with what you've said. We can stick up for other people and I think that's solid where we act collectively to defend and to stick up for people is really important. And actually well, can I just hate put the speech question? legislation takes away our ability to act in solidarity with others. Well,
1: it comes to legislation later, but David, can I, uh, is it, can we make a distinction between ideas and facts? Can we say, and I ask you as a Jew this question, Holocaust denial versus, if you like, criticism uh, of... Jews more generally, or Israel. Is there a way you could disagree, where you say society has an obligation to say these facts exist, opinions about the causes are fine, but the facts can't be denied i'm thinking back to a situation where for example i understand some japanese schools history books don't refer to manchuria and what the japanese did in manchuria so you don't know the appalling things that happened and elsewhere so is can you make that distinction well that is, it's an interesting that you should put that example at the end because that's quite a good example
4: of, if you like of malign no platforming isn't it um, what they've decided is that it's inconvenient for their version of society to have an account of Manchuria in their their books. In the same way, the Germans decided that so appalling for them was the idea of Holocaust denial that they would actually make it illegal. Uh, And indeed, David Irving, the author, actually served some time in Choki in Austria because they have the similar Holocaust denial uh, uh, laws. We don't have them in, in Britain. You can sell books and you can go on platforms saying that you think the Holocaust uh, is a hoax. And
1: are you happy that, I'm I'm just trying to make this distinction between opinion and fact, Uh, do you think that that's irrelevant in the sense you should allow people to challenge anything even if you think the factual basis is demonstrably wrong?
4: Now, this now comes to the question of what appears where and who gives it sanction in what kind of a way. So, in principle, do I think it should be banned and made illegal? No. Should it be available to people who want to find it? Yes. Uh, should you argue against it at all levels? Yes. Should you put a program on the BBC advocating Holocaust denial? No, because it's a factual. The BBC faced a huge problem when it came to how it was going to talk about and describe climate change. It was a classic example. One of the things it decided to do after a lot of, uh, a lot of argument was it could not give equal weight to people who said climate change wasn't a real thing. To people who said that climate change was a real thing, because that was effective the scientific consensus. Uh, that's uh, not the, an the no. Human, clim- no the,
1: the, it was. Wasn't it also slightly qualified that human beings had made a very significant contribution uh, to climate change? Was yeah. the specific? Yeah, yeah. no,
4: absolutely. That, that, that's a. Uh, but funnily enough, nowadays when we talk about climate change, that's what most people assume you're talking about. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I take your point. Mm.
1: But are we arguing then with? I mean, the problem you face is that, uh, as you correctly say, uh, John, at the beginning, science often advances by the lone voice, questioning the consensus, and so on. But that's an idea, and I was trying to see whether as a fact we can make that distinction. Yasmin, can you see, is that a reasonable distinction to even consider? You ban, you perhaps consider banning certain ideas, the expression of certain ideas, but you, try and protect above everything the factual basis as far as possible well
3: I, I mean I want to go back to what Joanna said I think that shows a, a really quite worrying inability to understand because it's really important when I'm sure somebody, it is, but just somebody you, just, calls me a packy it isn't uh, it makes no difference if somebody else defends me because the wound that sense of feeling utterly alone and diminished remains with you for a long time. This is what people don't understand. I wanted to reply to that in particular, but you're asking me a specific question. I think ideas, even ideas, even ideas we think we're very free-minded and open about are controlled. And David's given a very good example. The BBC could not have a program on Holocaust denial. But But we have prevent. We have a whole government policy, right, which is saying you cannot have ideas of Islamic extremism brought to university to be discussed. This is part of the regulation. I'm a professor at Middlesex. We are told to look out for such debates. I don't agree with that, but I can see why they're doing it.
1: But can I just, I'll just pick up two points with you for me? One is, you said Joanna, uh, I'm sure didn't mean to, but offended you or didn't understand the nature of the offence yeah. you feel... When it's you're not Paki. I think of is the right. wrong word. Hurt. But does that mean, because you are hurt by that, yeah. you would stop people saying it?
3: Yes. I don't want people to say nigger. How many people here need, feel the need to say nigger? Please put your hand up. You would. One out of how many? Yeah. No, I don't want to be called Paki. I don't want words lead to places Rwanda, Bosnia, how many more examples do
2: you need? All
1: right, Joanna, come quickly.
2: Oh, I just want to ask Yasmin. Yasmin, who made you God to decide what who can and can't say particular me. things? Well, it is you who's sitting here it's now saying we can't uh, say uh, this. It. We not can't me. say that. But I would just add no, another argument. No, on. Hold
1: on, you asked her a question.
2: Hold okay, on. On. at risk of putting words in your mouth, another argument is the reason why I would want the word nigger out there, even though it's not a word I would like to use myself, is because if people think that, I want to know it. You can't wish it away. You can't wish... Racism away. Yeah, if the people have that racist is... attitudes, I want them out there. I want to know who these people are so they can be argued against. You if we never just get rid of my argument. You drive it underground.
3: No, I don't care about your arguments. I care about how we feel in the public space. I do not want women called tarts, and I do not want girls insulted with words. I do not want to be called packy. It's my right to be
1: but that's and not some the argument. This no, no, is it's why not what you, you want. It's so the well. argument is not what you want, but whether it should be banned.
3: I think it has disappeared from the public space. People do not use the word nigger. People do. The people when they use the word Paki, it is a weapon, and I was called it just the but, other day. Would
1: you? But hold on. Why no, ban get, it? I, no, ban you,
3: it in the sense that society agrees we shouldn't use it. Well,
1: there's no law against okay, it. Okay, let's move on now to the issue of no platforming, which is a logical extension in some ways of um. that. You've been no-platformed, haven't you?
2: Attempted.
1: <laughs> why, why, was, why were they trying to no-platform uh, So
2: I've written things critical of the Me Too movement, and I also wrote, um, and I have to stress, not critical of transgender individuals, but critical of the transgender movement, um, particularly as it, it seems to be active in relation to children. Um, And because I made those criticisms, I was then subject to a petition when I was about to do a debate at King's College London, which incidentally had nothing to do with gender in any way, shape or or form, was to do with academic freedom. The petition accused me of um, denying the right of women and trans people to exist, uh, dismissing entire demographics, um, of um, putting people at risk of violence and violent attacks. It was incredibly melodramatic stuff. Um, The the kind of irony is after this petition was circulated, gathered hundreds of signatures, the people at King's College took the decision very bravely and I'm really, really pleased to say to let the event go ahead. Not one of the people who signed the petition came along. I really hoped they would. I was really keen to hear what they had to say. Unlike Yasmin, I really do believe in debate. I wanted to be able to argue back against them. More importantly, I wanted them to be able to argue back. Against me, um, but by not showing up, they not only did I not have that opportunity, they didn't have the opportunity either. Interestingly, but they, but, they
1: got, but they got their headlines. No, no, but um, interestingly,
2: I just add sorry, the reason why they didn't show up was because the Israeli ambassador was speaking elsewhere at the university, and they decided it was far more important to go and protest him than to protest me.
1: Uh, David, to what extent do you think when, when no platform comes up, it um, we should look at the politics of this? what extent do you think what is going on is people are trying to, as you were, capture the language so that they control the debate to a degree and so we should see this in part as an issue of principle but partly as a political tactic. When
4: I was a a student politician um, many, many, many years ago uh, when the discussion about no platforming in a way first began uh, and then the the left presented it as being like this. um, Actual fascists people who kind of, you know, march around with uniforms, etc., are outside the normal weft of politics, unsusceptible to debate. Funny, really, because it comes back to what uh, Yasmin was saying when she said she wouldn't debate Hitler. Of course, Hitler famously didn't debate anybody. <laughs> I don't know what history would have looked like if he had, but, uh, but famously he didn't. He was a kind of no-platformer par excellence. And in the end, he was the ultimate no-platformer. Uh, 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 really. Uh, so the idea was extremely limited. Um, but essentially, when I thought about it later, and then it's been extended, really, and, and, and the issue of offence has extended it yet further, because instead of it being a judgment about the efficacy of, of a certain type of politics taking over... It becomes a judgment about the subjective feelings of people. And it is incredibly problematic to ban things on the basis of people's subjective but feelings because people have different subjective but feelings. It, 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 and it's the sort of, transgender thing, incidentally, it, it illustrates that very it's a, well. It's an
1: attempt to client to shut down to shut down the debate, in your view. And, and there's no question about it. And not only that, but if you think about it, it has another
4: thing. The people who argue that there should be no platform, um, not for offence reasons, but for reasons of, let's say, normalising certain types of speech is a very common expression now, and never worried that it might affect them. Never. It's not that They're not worried they might become fascists as a result of it. They're worried that other people will become fascists as a result of it. In other words, these other people they're making a judgement are the people who will be Affected by this type of speech, so, so is there
1: anybody? I mean, supposing David Irving came back and said, "I want to speak here and I want to make the case as I have in the past that the, the concentration camps well, either didn't what exist." What happens or in whatever.
4: the film? What happens in the film? Denial. Yeah. What happens? He's played by Timothy Spall, and at certain stages, he gives a kind of creepily good impression of what he's saying, and then he's taken apart.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, he's taken apart partly because of the brilliance of the witnesses and the brilliance of the QC but here we're talking about the principle of platforming when such brilliance and may not be available to deconstruct what he's saying would you know platform David Irving
4: no no I no I I wouldn't know platform David Irving but I would very much want to see a proper contested debate if you were to have somebody like that involved or I would want people to understand what was at stake with it. So I might issue, if I try to, I might issue YouTube connections to denial. So Um, it's a
1: qualified, in a sense, it's a qualified platform. It's a platform where you have built in certain necessary constraints. Roger, here's the problem.
4: The same rights that give me the right to be sitting up here saying what I'm saying now are the same rights that I'm giving to David Irving. Those rights applying to Irving are also the rights applying to me.
1: Yeah, but okay, but rights have to have responsibilities and do you say... No, they to... don't. You don't? No, they so don't. So where no. do the rights No, no come the from? idea
4: that rights have to have responsibilities is just not true. All right, okay. Um, we want people to take responsibility. It's a fair th- It's a fair thing in a fair society to ask, but rights exist independent of responsibility. That's so right. Right. And there's no commitment to pay, so subscribe now to understand the world beyond the surface level
1: back. Uh, just
2: oh, sorry, quick point on uh, no, on no platforming in universities in particular, but but in broader society too. It always, always, always backfires. If somebody no platforms me, I'm like, yeah, great. A, I don't need to go to the trouble of making a speech, of turning up, of actually talking to people. B, I get a million times more publicity. If a speech goes ahead, only the few people in the room hear what I have to say. Um, if it gets, no, if I get no platformed, wow, it's going to be in every newspaper paper um, and see the ideas and the person take on a lure of kind of forbidden fruit. It becomes something more exciting among certain sections of the population, but you're going to have to take my word on this, more enticing. They go to YouTube deliberately to look it up. This must be something really exciting because it's been banned, because it's been no platformed So no platforming is the biggest, quickest, easiest way to shoot yourself in the foot if it's an idea that you don't like. I'm not suggesting for one second, any individual, oh, just grow a thick skin and suck it up. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying in order to have political solidarity, we need these bad ideas out there so we can argue against them. So if I hear somebody making an anti-Semitic remark, which you do more frequently, and I agree, is absolutely shocking and appalling, I want to be able to argue against that. I don't want it driven underground. I don't want it to seem more attractive. For whatever perverse reason people would see it as more attractive. I don't want to hand power to other people to decide what I can and can't hear. I want anti-Semitism out there so it can be absolutely argued against. You do
3: not argue against deep prejudices. What an arrogant position you're taking that you have the power to argue and save us from ourselves. It is not possible to understand the feelings. We're talking here about feeling utterly. I I was assaulted on Thursday, physically assaulted, these things you see on me, all right? The thing that I'm left with is why? Why did he do this? What, it's the emotional thing, and you do not argue. You cannot argue about that.
1: I don't want to downplay it, there are lots of pain. (laughs) But there are so many people, maybe in this room, who could talk about being assaulted, maybe particularly women what we've got to say is is that a sufficient reason for significantly restricting freedom of speech and i'm not quite sure i know your position on this
3: i'm not an absolutist i believe that freedom of speech always and everybody everybody has a red line even spiked i have looked at spiked and i argue with brendan o'neill their star almost every other week they have not crossed certain lines. They have not said anything on their sides that they know would upset, for example, Brit- British Jewish people. But that's we're not They're very, very careful. There's a lot of anti-Muslim stuff, <laughs> but there really isn't. A, and what I want to say is this, that we could not survive as a society if we all became freedom of speech absolutists, or in the public space, restraint, and care and kindness is all I'm saying. We need to be kinder yeah, and but understand yeah, but but would I'm agree not with talking the about the law
1: the, well the question we're arguing is whether that and how that needs to be underpinned. Let's move on to the last question if I may, which or theme which was whether outlawing offense would create a more tolerant society and David, I want to put you to uh, put you uh, set a couple of points in a very interesting article. Uh, written on Tuesday in the Independent by somebody called Yasmin Alibi-Brown.
3: I newspaper, not independent. Uh, Independent sacked me.
1: (laughs) Anyway, this really interesting article um, says this, that last week on Radio 4 I argued with the Labour MP who is pushing to institutionalise a particular definition of Islamophobia. Muslims dear to me and unimpeachable egalitarians are driving this campaign and she's opposed to that. She also says, but for the record, I'm also against the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism. Such designations are both dubious and counterproductive. Before I come to you, Yasmin, can I ask David specifically about the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance working definition of anti-Semitism? Would you support that, or do you think it does any good at all?
4: You're a a clever bugger, Roger. (laughs) Um, uh, you get me just at the sweet spot. Um, because the truth is, although I might not want to join a political party that didn't endorse this as their, uh, uh, as their position, I don't like these definitions. I don't. I don't like either of these definitions. Um, I, I'll get, I, there are bits of the uh, anti-Semitic definition that I don't agree with. I just don't agree that per se calling uh, the uh, Israeli government, although I regard it as a ridiculous hyperbole, Nazi-like is itself anti-Semitic. I simply don't agree with it intellectually. Um, uh, And yet that's partially in the definition. I understand the reason why it's in the definition. The same reason that Yasmin talks about in the definition of Islamophobia, things fall into the context of that definition which simply do not, uh, belong there. Now, uh, the question about whether or not and under what circumstances you require a definition, I mean, these are not legal definitions, by no, the way. No. You couldn't prosecute anybody on the basis of, uh, 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 of these definitions. Uh, and the law sets quite a substantial test for freedom of speech, which by and large is things like incitement to hatred. However, worryingly, um, there has been a widening of interpretation. And I'll give you just a little example. When I, in 2012, I'm a Top Hotspur supporter, a guy called Fabrice Moimba was playing for Bolton and collapsed on the pitch. And we were standing there as we thought the man was dying and he was saved. An idiot went on Twitter and said, "Whoa, good, I hope he dies, etc." And, and, and who cares, you know, et cetera, and then got into an argument with people on Twitter. This guy was a guy who was drunk and in his 20s. He went to court and was actually given a prison sentence because the judge effectively said that what he'd done had said was outraging the public public sense. I did not even know until that point there was such an offence of outraging the public sense. In other words, somebody takes an idea of what it is that the public doesn't like as a kind of group and says you can go to prison for that. Those sorts of definitions and those kind of uh, approaches worry me significantly not because I care about this particular guy although I did feel a little bit sorry for him but because it could be any of us who decides uh, etc well of course politicians decide and the politicians will decide based on what the public may decide but we know that in different countries that bar is set in different places and in different places we could fall under that
1: but to what extent do you think also with anti-semitism I mean one of the things that seems remarkable to me is that you know the long-running Argument about Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party and the way they are anti-Semitic, whatever. There has not been on the public service broadcaster a proper program which asks the simple question: Is what constitutes anti-Semitism, and what language can we use about the state of Israel, which is not anti-Semitic and legitimately allows one to debate the arguments. So, therefore, you have these allegations going back and forward, and a reluctance to define it, which I think is a rather strange occurrence. So people are using terms which they don't fully understand. And that's
4: true, that's true, Roger, but it may be unresolvable in some ways. Uh, I mean, let me take an example. A lot of Jews feel, and for understandable reasons, that if the sole country which you attach these <laughs> va- you know, the, the, the your your hostility to in terms of the certain behaviors is Israel, they feel got at automatically because that is the only Jewish state. There are lots and lots of Muslim states. There are states that call themselves overtly uh, Muslim and so on, Um, and yet you choose to get this one now.
1: but what I'm trying to argue is that because it's such a sensitive subject, the terms are used, but the debate isn't held because liberals hold back in some ways and don't want to be associated with it. So we've got actually quite an amorphous, unexplored area here in which people don't want to go into it because it's so dangerous. But let's discuss the question of, um, with you, Yasmin, of why. Just a little more detail, why you don't want this particular definition of Islamophobia adopted?
3: Well, I think both definitions, and David's eloquently dealt with, with some of the arguments. What I said is it's self-defeating, because what it's done, it's privatized. It's taken. It's separate. It, it's a separatist movement, if you like, of anti-racism. Anti-racism is a lifelong battle many of us have had to fight. And the way we got anywhere is through alliances, through my understanding, your anti-Semitism, you understanding what black men go through even to this day, the most discriminated against group. And it's through those alliances. So once you begin to use, I never use the word Islamophobia, because it seems to me even the word indicates a separatism separatism from anti-racism. So it defeats our alliances, our empathies for each other.
1: But what about prejudice against Islam, Well, th- they, m- which people hold, often knowing nothing about Islam? How, why is saying they are prejudiced against Islam better than saying they're Islamophobic?
3: Because I think, as I explained, Islamophobic, also phobic. Phobic indicates a kind of fear. I don't think it is a fear. It is some of it is quite calculated. Muslims, it's not Islam which is discriminated against because that's an idea, that's a faith. It's Muslims, right? And we need not to be so self-regarding and lock ourselves into this inner circle.
1: So if somebody said Muslimophobia and invented that no, word, no, that I don't, more acceptable? No, we don't acceptable? need another
3: word. Racism will do. Racism will do. There's one word. Racism is all yes, we need. But hold
1: on. It won't do because all Muslims are not of one particular race.
3: Yeah, but ethnicity—it covers racism. It
1: and Muslims are not won one ethnic group. That's your—that's well, a problem. It's my it?
3: view that Islamophobia is the wrong word for what's going on, because it's not against us as a Muslim. When I'm called a Paki, most of the time I'm called a Paki. Okay, what is it? What are they talking about? My skin colour, my non-existent relationship with Pakistan, or my faith? I don't know. We have no research <laughs> to show whether white bosnian muslims in our country suffer this thing called islamophobia we don't know we need to be tackling prejudice discrimination for all those who experience it part of progress is to be self-critical and to be criticized honestly and fairly and i don't want people from my communities there isn't a single community to get so locked in a definition that we don't look at the misogyny for example that is a serious problem or the homophobia, which is a serious problem.
1: So those are my arguments. We're gonna come to the end Anyhow, just and I'm afraid Yasmin, that has to be your closing remarks. Come to Joanna now and then finally to David if I may because we ran run out of time. I'm sorry about that. John.
2: Thank you. Um, I didn't think it was possible, but I've actually found something that I agree with you on, Yasmin. Um, I think that phobia has a very specific meaning in terms of fear, deep-rooted um, fear. And I think one of the problems that we face in relation to free speech nowadays, and it's um, brought about because we live in this outrage culture where we, we kind of enjoy at some level being outraged and being able to tell people how offended we are, is we have this linguistic inflation where we attach Phobia onto nearly everything. Um, I am going to say something which will no doubt make me incredibly unpopular, even more unpopular perhaps than I am already. I voted leave in the referendum three years ago um, for that. I've been called a Nazi, a fascist, racist, uh, xenophobic, you know, a gammon. You name the insults that have been hurled at me. There's no insult you can't imagine that hasn't been hurled at me. I obviously would deny that I am any of those things, but as soon as you start throwing around those labels, it makes people think twice about speaking out. It makes people think twice about expressing their views. Nobody wants to say, you know, yes, I'm xenophobic or racist or, or you know, and if voting leave to leave the EU on democratic grounds is enough to have those insults um, hurled at you, it does make people think twice about expressing their views. Um, I think also it's really dangerous territory because if everybody who voted leave, is a xenophobic, racist, fascist, Nazi. Where on earth do we go linguistically when we do encounter xenophobic, racist, fascist, Nazis? We've used up the language. We haven't got words left to accurately define them. A just final point, as associate editor of Spiked, um, I want to thank Yasmin um, for saying that we're not anti-Semitic. We're not. We're not anti-Muslim either, because believe it or not, it is possible to be pro-free speech without being anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim. The two do not have to go hand in hand. You can be very, very pro-free speech. You can be a free speech absolutist. It does not mean you are anti-Semitic or racist.
1: Uh, Oh, I would question that. OK, we have to later. David, um, we clearly have not got a majority, shall we say, for no platforming here. Um, I don't think we've got a majority for anything other than an intense suspicion of controlling free speech, but a real concern about those who are particularly hurt by some examples of it. What do we, I mean, could you give us any any constructive way forward? What would you suggest? Well,
4: I don't I, I say this thing about this kind of, you know, how appallingly treated levers have been, because this is something which ev- is almost kind of robotically programmed into anybody from Spike to tell you at any meeting you go to, they say this, and it's driving me nuts. It would also help if you didn't characterise people Remainers as sneering metropolitan
1: Liberals living in a London bubble who are all rich. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, I think uh, on that constructive note of agreement, on your behalf, uh, let me thank the panel. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Philosophy for Our Times. The podcast was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas, For more on the question of freedom, then please do explore our whole archive of Philosophy for Our Times episodes. Why not have a listen to episode 36 on the limits of freedom, which looks at whether constraining freedom could actually be the key to our freedom in helping us make choices. As ever, please do subscribe to the podcast, tell anyone you know that might be interested. Do head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review. And of course, tune in next week for more debates and talks from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas.